This is the last of our five-week series on vision. And by now, you're all going to know what scripture I would ask you to turn to first. Mark 3, 14. Thank you. Let's go there. This has been our anchor scripture throughout this series, Mark 3, 14. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. And we've been seeing that as a church, our desire is to fulfill all that Jesus did with the disciples. To be with him in terms of building a reservoir, to be a place of blessing, to be a place of encouragement, to be a place of stimulus, to be a place of healing, to be a house of grace, to be a place of mercy. And all of those things that are on our core values. But also that we might be sent out, that we might go out and take what God has given us, what God has invested in us and do something out there to make a difference. And the key things that we are all called to, no matter who we are, no matter what stage of life we're at, we're called to discipleship and to mission. We're called to become like Christ and we're called to take what God has given us and go and do something with it. Anyone disagree with me? No? Happy with that so far? Thank you. (laughs) Ruthie was looking at me with a scowl. (laughs) And we said that these are the two elements that are the essential role of the church, to be with Jesus that we become like him, and that we go out and tell others about him. And from here we laid the importance of our gathering together, that our coming together is important, not just for us, but for what God wants to do here in Beverly. And we talked about discipleship and the need for each one of us to stimulate one another, encourage one another, and challenge one another, that we become more like Jesus. And then two weeks ago we looked at the need for small groups, Why we meet, why God puts us together in small communities of people, which again is part of that discipleship process. And we didn't limit that to home groups, we limited it to whatever God has called us for purpose to do together. That that can be a place of stimulus and a place of encouragement and a place of challenge and a place of discipleship. And then last week, we looked at the fact that having trained and mentored the disciples, Jesus sent them out to preach. And we considered our responsibility to reach out relationally with the good news concerning Jesus Christ. We said those who know must tell. And uh, Angie's given us a great opportunity for every one of us to do something of that. As she was sharing about that opportunity to come and bring people to hear the good news stories that each one of us have to share. But there is a second aspect to our water courses, to our reaching out and that is social action and I want to give some rationale behind why we why we lay some store why we think believe it's important not just to go and preach but to go and care and go and reach out not just with the good news but also with the love of Christ now you remember I said last week Jesus did not die just to get you and me to heaven He died 
that he might redeem the world. The whole world. And restore it to its original intention. And God's intention through Jesus Christ is that he will have this world restored to that which he had in his heart and in his mind when he first created it. All things under his reign. All things living in harmony according to his plan and purpose. And that right now you and I are part of that process for establishing that rule and that reign on earth. For as we surrender and submit our lives to him, so the kingdom of God has come to us. And as we as a corporate people surrender and submit and do the work of God, so the kingdom of God has come here. And as we go out into the world, so the kingdom of God has come to the world. So what we do is not just meet here on a Sunday morning to have a bless up. We meet with purpose, for we are a people called for purpose. A people called to do something with that which God has given us. For Numbers 14.21 says, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God will have this earth filled with his glory. It will not be thwarted by man. It will not be thwarted by the devil. It will not be thwarted by anyone. God will have a world in which his glory fills all things. If we're going to get the world full of glory... Got to get the church full of glory. Better get my wife full of glory. Well, perhaps I'd better get full of glory. God wants his glory to be seen in us, that it might be seen out there. (laughs) There's a lot of glory going on in the crash this morning, I can hear that. (laughs) And part of that demonstration of the glory of the Lord... Is showing and reaching out with his love. Turn with me to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. And verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and coming and have neglected the weightier provisions of the Lord, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are all the things that you should, not, you should have done without neglecting the others. Just one verse there where Jesus is laying into the Pharisees. And what's he accusing them of? He's not saying you don't do all the right religious things. They do all their tithing, they go to church once a week, they go, they're part of a home group. They're doing all those good things, they're, they're living pretty good lives, they're trying to live according to the law, because Pharisees did, they really thought the law was important. But what were they not doing? They didn't show love, mercy, that's right. They were neglecting what Jesus says, the weightier matters of the law. See, it's not good enough for us just to live nice, clean lives if we're not taking action. That's more important. Showing love and care to the needy and to the lost is more important than just making sure I'm not sinning today. Jesus says I should 
make sure I don't sin today, absolutely. But actually, it's just as important that I'm going out and doing something with, God, with what God has given me. Otherwise, I'm neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And that's what he was criticizing the Pharisees for. For the fact that they were doing all the nice religious things, but they were neglecting the poor. They were neglecting the needy. And he gave very good examples of how even they were dishonoring the law by neglecting their parents who were in need and so on. And Jesus' message to the Pharisees was, look, you've got some things right, but you're missing out on the big bit that I've called you to do, which is go and do something with your faith and demonstrate it to those who are in need. Care for the needy, care for the widows, care for the orphans, care for the lost, care for the sinners. Do something with it, because that's more important. And that was Jesus' message to the Pharisees. In the Old Covenant, within the law, provision was made for justice and mercy to be extended to the widows, the orphans, and the slaves. And you'll find that in the book of Deuteronomy, detailed in, 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 in detail. Um, but the question is for us, does that carry over into the New Covenant? Israel was a nation, so they were given responsibility to care for the widows and the orphans and so on. What about us? Aren't we just here to save souls? Should we only be concerned with people's eternal destiny? Should we leave, bless you, should we leave temporal and social issues to the government? There's certainly an argument that's been given by many evangelicals in the past, one which I, with which I cannot agree. When Jesus came, it's not without accident that his first sermon was to affirm the need of justice. Turn back with me to Luke in chapter 4. Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down in the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the good news of the kingdom of God is preaching good news. But it's also caring for the poor, releasing the prisoners, setting free the oppressed. Those are all parts of kingdom. It's not just about getting people saved. It's about caring for God's world, God's creation, and bringing it back under restored in, in a place of justice and a place of righteousness. You see, we have a problem. In the early part of the last century, the church split into two factions. There were those in the liberal wing who preached the social gospel, the transformation of society through social reform and action. And those on the evangelical wing who preach the transformation of society through individual transformation. But which faction was right? The answer is both. 
The liberal wing neglected spiritual transformation as the source of renewal. The evangelical wing has neglected social transformation in pursuit of individual transformation. And as evangelicals, we've tended to write off all hope for the world because we've been caught up in a dispensational eschatology which sees the world as getting worse and worse until Jesus comes back and our only hope is to be rescued. And we don't have to worry about this world. We don't have to worry about what's going on because it's all condemned and under judgment anyway. And all we have to do is worry about heaven. Well, I've got some news for you. Jesus is coming back for this world. And he's coming back to make a difference here. And he's coming back to rule in justice in this place. And therefore, we do have to be concerned about this world because we're preparing it for his coming kingdom. This whole thing of the social against the spiritual is a completely false dichotomy. God is not just interested in redeeming our spirit, but is interested in the whole man and in this earth. And when Jesus returns, it will be to set up his righteous and just reign on this earth. In the parable of the sheep and goats, what were people judged for? Was it whether they had done all good things? It was for not caring. Now, some people would say, well, that's only about Israel. Well, it is about Israel and how, they, how we care as a world about them. But it's not exclusively. It's a message to us all. The gospel is confirmed and proved by how we will care for and for love and stand with those who are oppressed, those who are in distress, those who are discontented, those who are in trouble, those who are in need of mercy. I think you might know I'm a little bit passionate about this. Good. Some might argue, well, what about the passage where Mary came and anointed Jesus and the disciples were saying, well, couldn't that anointment have been, ointment have been taken and sold for the poor? And Jesus said, you've got the poor always with you. I've heard that as an excuse as to why we shouldn't bother about the poor. We've just got to actually think about worship. Well, actually, yes, of course, worship has to be our central thing. And yes, this was a wonderful act of Mary in pouring out that which was her most costly possession to anoint Jesus. But it was a special moment, a one-off incident to prepare him for his burial. Jesus said, didn't say, just because I'm not telling you to care for the poor with that ointment, I'm saying never care for the poor. Yes, you have responsibility to care for the poor. And clearly the question was only asked because the disciples were used to using their money to bless people and encourage them and care for the poor. In all of this, it should be not either or when it comes to the good news. It's both. We have responsibility to make the love of God known to people through our words. But we also have a responsibility to demonstrate the love of God through our actions. What we do not have is the option of standing idly by while the innocent suffer and while the oppressed are the subject of injustice. When the those treated unjustly can't cry out, then we have a responsibility to cry out for them. So what could we do? What can we do? 
We can lobby government. We can make choices in the way we buy stuff and which companies we support. We can be less selfish in our lifestyles. We can give to charities that invest in building up the communities of the developing world. There is much we could do, just in a practical way. When we go to India, we're investing directly into the communities of people who are benefiting directly from our input. And you're part of that. We're blessing and encouraging and building up those who are less well-off than ourselves. See, in all of this, we need both personal transformation and spiritual renewal. We need to walk in personal righteousness, but these things should be a springboard to cause us to reach out to the world, taking the message of redemption and working for freedom for all who are oppressed in any way. See, when Jesus was on earth, he went about doing good. He went about preaching and bringing the good news. But he also went about healing. Have you ever thought about why he did that? Hmm? Because there was a need. He saw and his heart went out in mercy to those who were in need. Now think about it. They never had the... um, health service that we have, if they were sick, they got, they got sicker. The doctors didn't know much, and they had no hope. So Jesus went to the poor, to those in need, and he healed them. He went to the sinners, and he brought them in. He went to those who were oppressed, and he set them free. His actions didn't stop with his words. They transmitted into action that changed lives and we too have that same responsibility not to let it stop with our words but to let our actions flow through and I just want to use one example turn with me to Mark in chapter 10 Today is Palm Sunday, as you may, t- may, have, may have guessed from Ali's references to Hosanna and putting it up there. And this story occurs right on or just before Palm Sunday, verse 46. And when they came to Jericho, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus and answering Answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Jesus at this point is on his way to Jerusalem. 
He knows what is going to happen when he gets there. He knows that when he comes up to Jerusalem, he's going to encounter the priests and ultimately he's going to be crucified. It says in one of the scriptures, he has his face set like flint to go and fulfill that which he's called to. And yet on the way, while he's on that journey, while he's walking that road from Galilee and coming through Jericho on his way into Jerusalem, he hears a cry. He hears the shout. The shout goes up, have mercy, son of David, have mercy. And of course, Jesus, always moved by compassion, responded. And he called the man forward. What do you want me to do for you? Now think about what that man needed. Of course he needed his sight restored, because that was his obvious need. But it was more than meeting his physical need. There was an economic need as well. That man was reliant on begging in order to earn enough to feed himself. Restoration of his sight for him was more than just giving him a function back, a facility back to use. It was actually giving him economic power to be able then to go out and earn and be able to build a life for himself. And Jesus' act of mercy did far more for that man than just restore his sight. It it gave him back his life. And beyond that, obviously gave him faith that the man, son of David, was the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus was not neglectful. Jesus was not dispassionate, saying, oh no, I'm on my way to the cross, I haven't got time to deal with this now. He listened, he heard the call, and he responded, because he responded in mercy. And he bought, out of that response of mercy, he bought life, freedom, freedom from oppression, freedom from injustice, freedom from the insults of the crowds. I mean, it says in the the passage, they kept telling him sternly, be quiet. He was getting insulted by the crowd, and I'm sure that wasn't the first time he got kicked, knocked, shouted at for being a nuisance on the streets. But Jesus ignored all that, laid it aside, and gave him his dignity back by restoring his sight to him. Now, you and I may not have a healing ministry. We can pray for people. We may not be able to go out and heal blind eyes. We may. If you're called to it, go and do it. But we can all do something to care for the oppressed and for the poor and for the needy, the people we find around us. There is none of us who are accepted from that. There are none of us who can't do something to care for those that we see in a state of need. We all can follow Jesus in that. It's time for evangelicals to realize the demands upon us to bring justice to the poor. Not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because it's a kingdom ethic which Jesus came to establish. And I could talk on many things I have in the past, and in my book I cover a few, the latest, the last book I wrote. We could talk about world poverty, we could talk about slavery, we could talk about all of these issues. But what about here in Beverly? Are there the poor and needy in Beverly? Well, not so many of the poor, perhaps. But there are the needy. There are the oppressed. There are the people who need a touch 
of the mercy of God upon their lives. And that's why we, over the years, have have focused, have concentrated a lot of our energies into doing some of these projects. And there's a new, new banner at the back that if you can all turn if you like, I won't be offended, which says community projects, just some of the things that we're involved in, in, in actually doing something. But there's much more that's going on as well. Um, Sue's been involved in the food bank, which has been running for about eight months, nine months, nine, yeah, about that, which of course is helping directly those who are suffering shortage in, in terms of food, food, um, food provision. There's a group called Beverly Against Poverty, which I'm involved in, which is helping those who are sleeping rough, giving them lunches, giving them a shower once a week, giving them food if they need it. There are things going on that we can be involved in. We trained up cap workers. Now, we haven't really had a chance to use that yet, as we would like to. But we want to give debt advice. We want to be able to help people in financial difficulty. We want to be able to um, make that provision, because behind closed doors, there are people in this town in difficulties financially. I would like nothing more. Well, I'd like lots more. But there's one thing I really would like is for us to be able to employ a cap worker. We're not in the place where we can do that right now. We haven't got the financial provision. But it's in my heart that when we do, we will. That somebody can go in and go in with the good news as well. The fact that, that, that God is, is interested in their financial issues but also interested in their spiritual issues. And I believe God will bring people to faith as a result of that. But we can also help them practically. We've got street angels. Now, what's, what's that got to do with it? Well, street angel is, is providing a, a service to help people who are vulnerable. And yes, they may be vulnerable because they've not been sensible when they're out in the streets at night. But that doesn't mean they don't need caring for. And they don't need some support. And they don't need some help. And they don't need some guidance. And they don't need somebody just to express the love of Jesus to them. In that state. And we've been training people in uh, crisis pregnancy. And again, we've not fully through that. But the idea is to help those who are in desperate need. Who don't know where to turn. And who have questions about how they move forward with their life. Just to give some help with that. I also have it in my heart to start a counselling centre in this town. A place where anybody could come and receive counsel and help and advice and support and strength. To help them come through whatever they're going through at the time. Now those are just examples and there are many more things we can do. And what I don't want to do is overburden us. Because there is only so much resource and so much time and so much energy and so many people available and so on. But what I do want us to grasp hold of is the fact that we do these things not because we just think they're a good idea, but because we have a heart to reach out to the lost and the needy in this place. And that all of us can share in that. All of us can be stimulated in that. All of us can be encouraged and be encouragers of those directly involved in these things at the coalface. And the bottom line is this. God has called us individually and collectively to reach out, 
to the lost and to the needy, to the oppressed and to the poor. And I just want to encourage and stimulate us all to take that seriously, to take that responsibility seriously, to perhaps think about how we could do more or how we could support this or that. And let it become not just something extra we do, but part of the warp and woof of our faith lived out in a needy world. Because I believe that's what God calls us to. And I think I'm going to leave it at that. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the wonderful example you gave us in Jesus. That Lord God, he didn't just speak. But Lord God, he put words into action. And he expressed your love wherever he went. And I pray, Lord God, that we might be a people so consumed with your love, your love for us and your mercy for us, that we want to extend that love and mercy to everybody in every way possible. That we want to give them the good news and we want to share, Lord God, what what you came, the, the, the life that you came to bring. But also, Lord God, that we might be a people who reach out in every way possible to care for the needy, the lost, the poor, the oppressed, those subject to injustice. That, Lord God, they might know something of the love of God coming through us and might respond to that love and come to know you, the giver of all love. Amen. Amen.